I'm not going to introduce, this is the HFB podcast. Every podcast moving forward is just going to be bling. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, nothing screams high budget than uh, bling. <clears throat> on the app. Shameless plug for Anchor. Right. Well, we've tried to use much more uh, expensive options and Keep going back to the free option. Yeah. Are, are, are you kind of disappointed that you haven't got to use that cat tail looking uh, microphone? Yes. Again? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides like, you know, some of my YouTube videos and whatnot, I've been able to use it for that. But Oh, yeah. You're going to plug that? You want to plug that YouTube channel real fast? Not really. Uh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> Dapper Traveler. YouTube. Mm. Bingo. Bingo. There it is. Subscribe. Subscribe. After you subscribe to the HFV podcast on Apple, is this a real on Apple? What are we on? Oh, we're, we're on, we're on, uh, we're on, uh, for sure iTunes. Um, and I think we're on, I think we're on all the major ones. Get your asses out there, people, and subscribe. That's right. All right. Unfiltered content, buddy. Okay. So moving forward, moving forward. We are going to have a podcast every Monday and every Thursday. God damn it, we're doing this uh, for the rest of this year. And Monday is going to be the review day, and Thursday is just going to be the hard-hitting analysis, and every now and then we may even have the rooster on board. Uh, But today is Monday, September 23rd, and we are looking at the week that was week four, which for most people, there is a couple exceptions, but for most people, that means conference play is starting. And uh, we had a huge game Friday in the Coliseum, uh, Utah and USC. What did you see in that game? Well, I saw a cover of USC plus four, which uh, fortunately I was on the right side of that bet. Um, Probably made all the more impressive with uh, USC doing it with their number three quarterback. And really uh, when the camp start number four? Because wasn't Sears did was Sears in camp, or did he did he transfer out this past summer? I uh, don't know. Haven't stay up to date on on fighttrojan.com. Right, but, right, uh, right, right. But either way, either backup way. of a backup of a backup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, great performance by Matt Fink, twenty-one to thirty, three fifty-one, three touchdowns and a pick. Um, I think you were watching this game probably more closely. I I was watching it. I also had some action on a Mountain West game that we won't talk about. It was going on in the same TV window. But, um, you know, it looked like just based off of uh, the numbers that Michael Pittman put up, 10 catches, 232, 
that um, he was uncoverable. You, he was uncoverable. Yeah. And in fact, there were times there were especially at the end of the game, there were a couple times where it was third long, you know, third and eight and something like that. And Fink would straight up look at um, straight up look at uh, uh, Michael Pittman, <laughs> making sure their signals were correct. The entire stadium, everybody watching knew exactly where the ball was going and it didn't matter. Uh, Pittman still caught it. The so as you know, in full disclosure, um, I got excited. Uh, I thought there was an opportunity at Utah uh, money line when they were down. Oh, don't don't short the story. Tell the story. Or, or you want me to tell it? Because oh, I, oh, you, you, you know. can you can tell it because I, obviously I would try to protect my protect my dignity. Uh, yeah. If, so, if I tell, uh, tell it, so you just yeah. Full so disclosure. I yeah. So obviously I've, I've got that game. And I'm, and I'm following it, so I've got updates coming. And, and there's obviously a quick touchdown by SC to start the game, followed by a Utah score. And so it's 7-7 seven to seven with – I mean, literally there's like 11 minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah. And I get a – my phone lights up, and it's, it's, the, uh, it's the pony telling me that Utah is going to roll. Yes. And um, yes. I think I answered it kind of sarcastically, saying, well, what makes you think that? And – you know, you gave me some long explanation about them dominating the trenches. And literally, I think before you got done explaining why they were going to roll, SC had already scored another touchdown, and they were up 14-7. to seven. Yeah. So that's, I'm guessing, somewhere in that time frame, in that window, is when you placed a bet on, on Utah Moneyline. Is that what? Yes, yeah, what Moneyline. You, Moneyline, yeah. 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 Sure. And then later on, you followed it up, I think, midway through the third, that you were just not going to say anything else the rest of the game. No, but. no, because because clearly, and uh, you know, and there's and there's different things that uh, every year that you that I have to relearn, and one of them is is the the toughest part, like just just fully, uh, you know, you know, if I'm on the uh, if, if if I'm just uh, divulging everything, uh, the toughest part for me is is when I'm betting live is to try to push any narrative that I think the game is going to be like or any nar- or any result that I want to happen. Push those thoughts away and truly assess the game of like the facts that I know. And the facts that I know, and we talked about it in the last podcast, were how tough it is on a short week to play a road game. And, and how many times have we seen it, WSU, the pre- WSU and USC – last year and actually WSU USC the previous year before that uh, where USC in 2017 came into Pullman on a Friday WSU won WSU the higher ranked team that last year came into the Coliseum uh, against a Trojan team who was struggling USC won the same exact thing happened again uh, uh, last night uh, on, on Friday um, and, and the narrative that I wanted to have happen was, is that I wanted to see a undefeated Utah and an undefeated WSU team. And we'll get more to that one later, um, square off at each other. And what I failed to see and what you and I have talked about since then, uh, is USC's defensive line was absolutely dominant so much so that they really didn't have to bring in a lot of pressure because their front four was creating havoc at the line of scrimmage and they could put several guys back into coverage or 
they're just they're really what I can't remember a Utah pass that went further than 20 yards. I'm sure there's one there, but there weren't a lot of them. They were all all USC had to cover was 20 yards. And it made sense because the USC defensive line was in the Utah backfield uh, for any route that would last longer than that. It, it, it was impossible to complete because USC was already pressuring the quarterback. It was, it was a very impressive victory by USC. Uh, And I guess my final thought to that would be looking ahead is, is how many times in the Clay Helton era have we seen back-to-back games where USC has played to their potential? Yeah, I, I, so a couple takeaways that one, uh, and we could do a whole podcast about this, but live betting um, is a completely different animal yes. than betting, uh, you know, pre-kick or pre-tip off, whatever sport you're doing. And I, it, I think it takes, and I'm not going to get into it on this podcast, but it, there's definitely an art to it and certain, uh, and it's all timing is what yeah. it boils down to. So yeah. I, I'm going to leave that at that. The, the takeaway that I have from this game is USC, no matter if they play their first, second, third string quarterback, at the end of the day, still have the athletes that, to, to make them, you know, a top tier team talent in the Pac-12, regardless of what year it is. Because um, obviously uh, they showed that, you know, they can be the top 10 team uh, at home. Right. Um, what's what's interesting was, and you talked about the D line um, from Utah. And I was I was or from SC, and I was pulling up. You know, I pulled up the box score, look at stuff, and and what's inter- what's interesting about this game was that SC had a grand total of 13 yards rushing on 22 carries. Now I know that Graham Harrell air raid whatnot, but they still like to run the ball quite a bit. Um, I believe their last touchdown they got was on, was was on the ground, but um, they really did it all through the air. Yeah. Um, with the third string quarterback and conversely, you know, Tyler Huntley went 22 of 30 for 210 yards at one touchdown. It's an average of seven yards completion. So you're, you know, what you, you know, what you were kind of describing, it, it, it sounds pretty true. What I thought was interesting was, was Utah still was able to rush for 247 yards on 49 carries, which is, which is five yards a carry, which is very, very efficient. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, Utah outgained USC. But, you know, it came down to some chunk plays and explosion plays, you know, ultimately, you know, because because turnovers were equal. You know, it came down to a couple big plays by USC. But I think that's always something that from a betting perspective, when you go back um, before you're putting in wagers for the following week, I think it's always good to go back and look at a box score because I think sometimes you can watch a game and sometimes your eyes can deceive because obviously – you, if, especially if you have action on the game, you are more in tune to look at something a certain way and yeah, and go back after the fact and look at something, you know, you know, maybe a, a day or two later and go, shit, I didn't realize that Utah had, you know, close to 500 yards of offense to yep. USC that only had 370. Right. You know, I mean, shit, because at times it felt like that game was close to USC pulling away and, and, and winning the thing um, by a larger margin. So, um, it does set up, I think, regardless, and I'll leave it at this. We can move on to the next game. Um, you mentioned Utah, U- uh, Utah and Washington State both taking losses. But um, what will be an interesting game in, in Salt Lake and, and some things that each team's going to have to clean up. So 
Uh, that's kind of my final takeaway on that one. Yep. I would agree. We'll talk about it Thursday. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to, which game do you want to talk about next? Uh, I think we ought to give a quick, uh, why don't we go to, um, why don't we go to Cal and Ole Miss? I mean, full disclosure, I didn't have action on this game. I don't think you did either. Um, uh, I but... had it. I had the under in a teaser that barely, <laughs> barely hung on, even with it teased up by 10 points. But other than that, mm-hmm. that's all I had. Yeah. Uh, and um, that... And that, of course, was only because a goal line stand uh, by the Cal D fans and maybe by the refs as well. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of talk on national mm-hmm. radio this morning of, of whether or not um, Pac-12 officiating crew got that one right. But I, I you know what, I, I heard the argument that, you know what, they went back and, and they've looked at it since. And they still don't think he got in. And I totally, I, I, I'm going to give the refs, a, and this is a big step for me, Um, in my personal growth but I'm going to give him a break and I'll tell you why I'm going to give him a break given that situation I don't know if anyone watched it but you know Ole Miss had no timeouts left the clock was winding down a few seconds left and they completed a pass on third and goal that to the naked eye you know you might have thought the guy caught it in the end zone and got pushed out but clearly he landed with the ball outside of the end zone yeah. And and what Ole Miss's fans were complaining of was that they the the officiating crew there was no buzz down to go take a look at it, and ultimately Ole Miss was rushed to the line because the clock was ticking and they got a snap off of like two seconds, and did not score until the game ended. Right. And the argument I've heard on the on the other side of that is, look, Ole Miss doesn't have a timeout, so if you buzz down, if if you're certain, you know, unless it's definitive that you think he's in. That if you buzz down and stop that, and yeah. rule, and this call stays the same, you essentially give Ole Miss like a free timeout. Right, you right. Know, two to three minutes for them to figure out, yep. the, you know, their last play. And I think, you know, from a competitive balance standpoint, I think that I think the refs made the right call. And I mean, at the end of the day, the kid from Ole Miss should have run his route a yard deeper. I, you know, so. But needless to say, I mean, Cal gets a huge road win. I know that was a big spot that you know an early kick from a. Um, you know, from a, uh, from you know, going to Oxford, 9 a.m. local kick for Cal. Uh, I think the thing that surprised me, and I mentioned this to you, I think we were talking about this um, Saturday night, was Cal's offense appeared to have a bit of a pulse. Now, now, now is- here's what's funny. Here's what's funny about this because because I'm looking because I was looking at the stats. If I would have told you before the game that Cal was only going to rush for 60 yards in the game. Mm-hmm. How much money would you have bet on Ole Miss? Yeah, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think that there's some validity to that. I mean, it's, um, it's crazy that they, and then you find out that Chase Garbers uh, threw for 357 yards, four TDs, one interception, and his average, his average um, pass completion was 10.2 yards. I mean, those are chunk plays there. Sure. Yeah. Very efficient. Again, I didn't watch most, you know, a lot of the game, but I do think that what, what I take away from this is, I think Cal's up to 15th this week um, in the polls is I think California's, you know, legitimately a contender in the North from the standpoint of 
A, they've already got a victory in Seattle over Washington, so yeah. they have a tiebreaker there. Yep. Um, they have a defense that, you know, Justin Wilcox, that's his calling card, that's what he was at UW yep. before he went to Cal. They have a defense that travels. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a defense that travels, you're going to be in a lot of games. And, I mean, if they can manage to get that kind of production, you know, out of their quarterback um, on a somewhat consistent basis, I mean, that's a recipe to win a lot of games. So yeah. them sitting at 4-0 with a victory over Washington right now certainly would be the early surprise, I, I think, for me in the conference. But also now, um, you know, puts quite a spotlight on those guys moving forward um, because I, I think everyone's catching them now in the North just because of the fact that they do have that one, one victory over Cal. So yeah. granted, they still have got Oregon. They've still got Washington state to play, which you know, we'll talk about them later. But um, you know, I, I think that Cal is maybe the surprise in a good way um, for the, because there's not a whole lot of other good things I think happen in the conference right now, but, but good for Justin Wilcox and those guys because that's a that's a good win for the conference going and winning a game on the SEC you know, on SEC home turf. Yeah, absolutely. Every time every time that you can have that type of win, uh, you will take it. The funny thing is, is that the the national narrative only works one way. Um, if the Pac-12 beats the SEC, nobody talks about it. If the SEC beats the Pac-12, it's oh well, the Pac-12's weak. Here's another example. Uh, so at least we were able to, you know, I feel like this year, at least we were able to notch some, some decent, uh, um, unfortunately, and we said this a couple of weeks ago, with Oregon losing to Auburn, that set the narrative for the entire conference for this year. And no matter what we've done really well as a conference since that point uh, in our non-conference games, but because because uh, Oregon couldn't finish the deal, uh, I feel like that kind of just set it for us. Uh, but moving forward, ASU Sparky uh, goes to goes to Berkeley on Friday, so that's going to be <clears throat> that that'll be a fun game, and that's going to be an interesting game of can um, when Cal went to Washington in week two, they won that game, came back around, hosted North Texas and had to hold on to survive winning that game 23-17. Now, Cal's had more success. Can they handle that success with an AST, ASU team that's going to be hungry after the loss against Colorado coming in? That's that's going to be an intriguing game because, honestly, you look at – those are two teams that are kind of mirrors of each other. Line is open to Cal minus five and a half. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, next game probably should go to, uh, Provo. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was flat ass wrong on this game. So I'll be the first to admit it. You know, I will, um, I, I thought BYU had a great chance of, of, uh, not only covering, but finding yeah. a way to win the game on the field and, I mean, shit, they were down 21 to three in the end of the first quarter. And, yep. and I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to give them a break and say that, you know, their, their, their tank might've been a little bit empty coming off wins over Tennessee and USC, but, but they, they certainly were outclassed in every phase of this game. Yep. Um, I even took a late flyer live talking about live numbers. I got a live number 
on BYU of 25 and a half, which is really a dead number. But I got that number uh, late in the second quarter. See, I not to go into live betting, but I think if you're going to live bet, and the latest you live bet is early in the third quarter of games, but that's right. another another day. But yep. so I took it late second quarter when it was it was twenty four, um, it was twenty four to uh, twenty four to three, and, and and BYU had managed to score, miss an extra point, so it was twenty four to nine, and felt pretty good because that was the score at halftime, and and then third quarter happened and, and it got it got ugly pretty quick but um needless to say uh jacob eason 28 uh, 24 of 28 for 290 looked really really good really really comfortable um, if you're a washington fan uh and if you're a, just a all-in-all pac-12 football fan uh jacob eason coming in as advertised is great news the bad news for Washington fans is that I think everybody is starting to see you better enjoy him this year because he's going to be gone by the end of the season. Well, that's a hot take there. It is, um, but, but there are already draft boards that are saying that he's going to go in the top 10. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll reserve that for sure down the road. The but, the but, but, but anyways, the point is, is that he's that good. He went 24, 28, uh, three TDs, one interception. Like he had a, and it, that was a game where you dub. And that's the one thing that you see with Peterson is especially after, after what happened in the cow game. Now, obviously that cow game's not looking as much as a fluke as maybe what we thought it was a couple weeks ago, but either way coming off of a loss Peterson teams. And now this is the second game from that, obviously, but this team looks like a focus team because really it, from the very start of the game, it was clear who was going to win this game. Um, doesn't so. matter who they put in a tailback or tailback yep. doesn't travel. Often yep. it's hurt. Yep. You know, yep. McGrew goes for 110. Newton comes in for 80. I mean, they rushed it for 187 yards on 39 carries, five yards a carry against a very physical BYU front seven, a team that had, had, had really um, slowed some of their previous opponents on the ground. So Washington again being able to move the ball on the ground opens up the, you know, opens up passing windows for Easton. Yeah, because what's, very what's scary, what's crazy is, is that two of their biggest playmakers. I mean, if you if you name like the top three playmakers for that offense, you would say Ahmed and Chico McClatcher, and both of those didn't even travel with the team this week, uh, and right. still put up that type of numbers. So uh, impressive win by um, uh, by by the men in, in Seattle. Yeah, and it. it you know, being a BYU backer, you know, I, I think I even said on the podcast Friday that, that, you know, BYU had to stay within a score and right. you, know, you fall down, you fall down 21 to three playbook kind of goes out the window at that yep. point because you're playing catch up. And, and unfortunately BYU is just, they're not in the position. They got a true freshman quarterback. They're not going to stand back there. I mean, they slung it 42 times and, you know, the kid had decent numbers, but at the end of the day, that's not what they're built on. And that plays right into Washington's hands. And it, you know, that's why the score ended up 45-16 or 45-19. But that's probably nothing else to say about that game. Right. Uh, and the only other, like, uh, final piece on that is next Saturday. This upcoming Saturday, uh, the Trojans come into Seattle, uh, play a game at 3.30 local on Fox. Um, and uh, that we'll talk about that, obviously, incredible depth on um on thursday 
But my biggest takeaway to that is being someone who is a WSU uh, season ticket holder. I have seen Peterson teams completely destroy air raid teams year after year after year. Uh, so that's going to be a, that'll be an intriguing matchup. Line open nine and a half and has already moved to Washington minus 10. Yep. Um, how about let's, let's go to um, another Bay area. Uh, let's go to Palo Alto and uh, the Oregon ducks had a, had a good, good win in Palo Alto, a Stanford team that's struggling uh, but clearly is prideful, and there's still very much talent on that team. Uh, but really, to your point, when we were talking about this before we got on this podcast, uh, I think it was a yesterday or whatever, the most impressive thing to you uh, was the defense from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did not have this game. Well, let me take this back. So I think I pretty much shit on – on uh, our man uh, uh, at Oregon there. Um, Jesus, I'm blanking. Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal. Yeah. Yeah, fucking Super Mario. I um, I said I had to see it. You had to prove it. And, and, and really, to be honest with you, you know, they hold Stanford to 234 yards of total offense, 120 through the air, 114 on the ground. I, I was kind of at that point, my morning had not gone great because it yeah. had been so chalky. I was, I had a lot of games going on in that time window, and there was a lot of channel flipping that was going on. And this one didn't kind of make the rotation too much because there just wasn't. Right. You know, I ended up not betting it. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, the parts that I did see was, you know, the kind of theme for Stanford is they have struggled on offense. That didn't change. But I do think that – part of of the credit has to go to Oregon's defense because they were the more physical team. They controlled the line of scrimmage. Clearly Stanford wants to run the football and they weren't able to do that. Um, they, they were constantly playing from behind the chains and Oregon's got good athletes um, that are, you know, that are on that squad. And, you know, they had four sacks on KJ Costello. They had seven tackles um for loss um you know and and really i take that back they had five sacks and eight tackles for loss um so they managed to get stanford out of you know out of any uh down and distance that that david shaw wants to be in and and really it wasn't a great performance i didn't think offensively i didn't think but i on, on the same token i don't think justin herbert tried to do anything that the defense wasn't giving him i think it was somewhat of a vanilla approach. I mean, only had 61 yards rushing on 30 carries, which is only two yards a carry. And Herbert was 19 of 24 for 260 and three scores. Right. But the game, you could just tell that Oregon got, Oregon got out to a 14 to three lead at halftime. And they were like, Hey, we're not going to give, you know, we're not going to make any stupid plays. We're going to yep. try to do our yep. best. We're not going to beat ourselves. To... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, you know, they didn't have any turnovers. Yeah, And, you know, they made Stanford basically have to drive the length of the field. And Stanford only managed, you know, six points. And I think my takeaway from this is, A, Oregon's defense, yes, has is, is come a long ways um, since, you know, even two or three years ago. So I give Crystal Ball credit 
and that staff there of having of having recruited good players. Obviously, the, the three four system they're running that they had that they've continued to run um, since the departure of their defensive coordinator seems to be working. And I think that um, you know you start looking around other results and you see like you know you see Auburn going to A&M and winning um, a, a big game in College Station all of a sudden that loss to o- Auburn yeah I think Auburn's pretty good yeah and and a lot of people were bagging on Oregon or uh, Auburn's offense and Auburn's offense wasn't very good after the Oregon game when I think some of that credit has to go to Oregon's defense and so you know I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by them because you know they've got the meat of their schedule ahead of them as far as the Pac-12 is concerned, and I, I certainly think they're also a player in the North. But, you know, what I still, you know, there's going to be a game or two that comes on the schedule that Justin Herbert's going to have to go win it. And I, I just – I want to see if he's progressed into that guy because I still don't know. I mean, they were never – they were never any really tough situations in that game. They got out ahead early, played with the lead. Yep. And it was a very comfortable day for him. Um, from that standpoint. Yeah, I it's um, for a team that has struggled over the last couple of years of winning on the road. That's a that's a good win. And especially, yeah. yeah, it's a step. And it's and, and a team that they have struggled against Stanford to get that on the road is also a good win. It's not a good st- my my like I I will give Oregon credit where credit is due. On the flip side, I also know that it's not a good Stanford team. Uh, and to be quite honest, I think it's concerning if you are a if you're an Oregon Duck fan of um, only 61 yards. Uh, C.J. Verdell, your top running back, he had 24 carries for 82 yards, and his longest was 11 yards. Uh, and in fact, even on the offensive on the uh, passing side of it, your longest passing play was 36 yards. So, I mean, Stanford, obviously, they're, they're going to scheme and they're going to do what they need to do on their end to make sure to limit those explosive plays. But if you're the number 16 team in the country uh, and you're supposed to have, like, the type of playmakers that Oregon recruits every year, it surprises me that they're not able to generate more explosives uh, on offense. Uh, how but, much of that, though, too, though, how much of that is, like, preconceived notion of Chip, Chip Kelly and the type of – couldn't agree more what, couldn't agree more like there, oh well it's Oregon Oregon's yep. Oregon's gonna put up 60 in their yep. sleep and yep I don't think this team is built that way yep I, um, I would agree and I I would agree with that I, I I would I would agree that there are the pre, uh preconceived notions and the other thing is too is that if you're arguing arguing it on the other side of it it's look this is an Oregon team that did not beat itself and knew what it needed to do to go on the road, win the game, and get out. And that's exactly what they did. So kudos to Oregon. I still have my doubts on them on how really good, how truly good they are. But how are they turning the corner as a program right now? It very much appears so, yes. I think it's time to uh, go to Tempe. Yeah. So this was uh, – you and I talked about this last week. Um, this was one of my favorite bets on the board. Um, I did not understand why that spread was the way it was. I really liked Colorado. In fact, I even liked the, I even mentioned that I think Colorado could go down there and beat them. Um, what I 
could not believe was how many points was scored <laughs> in this matchup. Uh, but this turned out to be the final two games of the day uh, in the Pac-12 were very exciting. Uh, and this was one of them. Yeah, you didn't get to watch this. You were, no, I didn't. You were knee-deep in libations in Pullman. Um, this was, was on in the same those. same window um, of that game. And I, I too, um, I, I think I had disclosed I'd bet the buffs early in the week last week. And um, so I ended up, that line, we got seven and a half. It actually moved to eight. Uh, it was eight on game day at one point. And so I, I, I doubled up my play. And, you know, I think coming into the game, ASU was like one of three teams in the country that had yet to um, give up a point in the first half to their first three games. Them, Wisconsin, and there was one other – I can't remember who it is now. Um, Colorado got the opening kick, went right down the field and scored. And – you know, it kind of just set the tone for the game. It was back and forth. It was actually a very, very entertaining game. Um, you know, a lot of points, a lot of yards, um, which I thought Colorado, you know, and part of the reason we talked about betting Colorado was I thought Colorado was going to be able to move the ball and be able to score. And ASU had, had shown some, some early struggles on offense on their side. And so pulling away and winning by a couple of scores seemed like a tall task. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from this, one, I'm not surprised that Carter won. Um, I was a little bit, you know, and, and part of this is the fact that I think Colorado's defense is really poor. Right. Was the success that Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State quarterback, had going 24 of 39 yeah. for 345 yards, all career highs uh, in his very young career, a couple touchdowns. Um, but, but, you know, so ASU's offense showed a little bit of life, but, you know, surprisingly, and they leaned on that defense, obviously, the previous week in East Lansing um, against Michigan State. You know, Colorado, you know, took an early lead. ASU battled back. It was a one-score game basically from the second quarter on, and ASU tied it late, and you saw momentum with with um, with the Sun Devils. And, and to Colorado's credit, um, after ASU tied it, um, Colorado – you know, march down the field in the, in the final minutes and, yeah. and kicked a game winning field goal. Um, so I think my biggest takeaway is, is Arizona state's offense is going to get better. Their defense wasn't as good. I guess to put it like this, their defense isn't as good as we thought, or as people maybe tried to play it up that it was their offense wasn't as bad. Cause I think they played against some good defensive teams. I mean, at least Michigan state is, um, so I don't think Arizona state's probably a, um, a real true, um, you know, a team in the South that can really compete probably to win that side. Um, but they are capable uh, of, of hanging around and, and Colorado is a team that if you, if you sleep on them in the schedule, like I said, they're going to put up points. Right. And so you got to be ready uh, when you do face them, but, but a great win for Mel Tucker in his first year. I mean, it, I think it took Mike McIntyre like 10 years to get a road conference win. So no tears, no tears on no the sidelines. Um, you know, so good for the Buffs. Good win for them. Um, they're sitting three and one and, and Arizona state's obviously sitting three and one also, but 
but um, probably a, a little bit of a shocker to some of the folks that are not as in tune with the conference. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, what we are going to see throughout the rest of this year is that with the exception of now, because Arizona and UCLA, who we will be talking about next, have shown life, um, Oregon State is the worst team in the conference. And now you have really – Who is? Well, Oregon State, yeah. I think they're oh, still Oregon part. State, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they're still part of the conference. Uh, teams 1 through 11, the gap between those teams really isn't that big. And especially if one team comes out flat or one team forgets to play and another team comes out inspired on how there are going to be upsets throughout the year, uh, home or away, of just uh, – my guess is is when it's all said and done, <laughs> there are going to be uh, incredible scenarios on the last week or two weeks where – three or four teams on each side on each division may have a chance to pull it off depending on who wins and, and, and how the games uh, progress. Uh, and this is just another example of, um, you know, an AS, a Colorado team that when they're, when they're bad, they're losing to air force at home. When they're good, they're beating Nebraska at home and they're going on the road and being an ASU. So they're they're kind of all over the place. Um, and if you want to just wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. You're telling me that 18 to 22 year olds are I know. all over the place. I know. It's crazy. Holy shit. It's crazy. Uh, which kind of just leads into our next. Um, the next game. Which yeah, was... I'm, I, here's 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 how we're going to do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to give you the floor. Um I'm going to tee it up for you and let you go. Obviously, you were in attendance at this one. Uh, 67 to 63. I'd have to go back and check. That's probably more points than that were scored in that game than were scored in the UCLA-Washington State basketball game last year. But Possibly, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, UCLA getting the win, scoring 50 points in the second half. Pac-12 record for um, most points scored. Yep. Just going to let you uh, – in 18 minutes, no less – I'm going to let you run with that and have fun because you witnessed it, you know, as a, a friend of the program once said, oh, you're, you're down there, huh? You got to witness that in person. Right. Got to witness that in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Witness that. So uh-huh. the, the stage is yours, Pony. Just uh, I'm going to exit stage left and you know. sit back and, and I'm going to light a cigarette and, and pour a cocktail. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. If, if you would have been uh, – if, if we would have been recording this uh, Saturday night or even Sunday morning, uh, you, you may have gotten a much different response than what you're going to be getting now on a Monday. So the first thing is, is kudos goes to – let's start with UCLA. Down 45-17, they start coming back. They start chipping and really truly no pun intended. Start chipping away at the lead. Uh, due to absolute putrid special teams by Washington State. Uh, and then just um, being able to – You mean 49-17. Just, oh, sorry, just, 49-17. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and continuing to push the ball down the field and WSU not, not making any stops. I mean, the, on the UCLA side of things, you have to feel – you have to feel happy for them with the fact that 
they have gotten blown out. They they went to Cincinnati, who's a good football team, uh, and and got beat there, but were competitive. Uh, at least the score would show. I, Cincinnati was definitely the better team, but they were competitive there. Go back home to the Rose Bowl to nobody showing up against San Diego State and losing that in a close game, and then play on national TV in the Rose Bowl and get blown out by Oklahoma, who's one of the better teams in the country, you know, top five team in the country, and will probably be in the college football playoff. So the narrative for UCLA football has been two things. One, they're awful, possibly one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. And two, has, has Chip Kelly quit on this team? And is he just cashing paychecks? Was hiring Chip Kelly a bad hire? How bad is this football team? Yada, 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 yada. So if you're a part of that program, if you're a player in that program, this, this part of the season is kind of that make or break point where either you're just mailing it in or show some pride and actually, and, and, and try to, and, and try to continue to improve yourself. And at the end of the day, they got a win and they were able to pretty much put everybody on notice. And Chip Kelly even said so as such in his post-game interview of, how tough their schedule was in the beginning. They're one of the youngest teams in the, in the country. Uh, and they just came back and, you know, give them kudos for doing that. Um, on the WSU side, probably one of their top times <laughs> in conference, you know, at least in September. I mean, they've had some, some absolute crap performances in the month of September. Uh, but this one's got to take the cake as far as being as, as 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 far ahead as they were and to do that and you and I have talked about this before I mean I'm not going to go by each score but it was a complete collapse on all sides of the ball of uh, offense fumbling the ball was a four or five times four times in the uh in the second half uh special teams allowing a kick return and a punt return on just absolute no effort uh type of of play by the special teams units and then on defense um horrible defense on from the defensive line of creation creating no pressure our linebackers look like they were running in mud or concrete uh and dbs that um were left on an islands that were either doing a horrible job of covering and if they weren't doing that they were taking horrible angles and over pursuing guys on tackles uh, so WSU moving forward, uh, this is kind of Mike Leach last year, didn't have a bad loss. I don't think, but in every year since then, pre previous to last year, there was always at least one or two bad losses where the team thought they were much better than what they were. This is exactly what that loss is. So I think more than anything, it's, it's about, all right, how does this team respond? Do they um, do they come back and put up a good effort and, and steal a win out of Salt Lake City? Or does this start to show warts of a just a mediocre, just a classic air raid team back to its Texas Tech days where they're going to be scoring, they have to score 60 points to win? That is a really subdued recap. Very subdued. I mean, I, yeah. I really think, I mean, that's clearly through some through some crimson glasses that you're wearing there because, you know, to, 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 to blow a 32 point lead over the last 18 minutes of a football game, which is really impossible to do. Right. 
Yeah. Um, to have six turnovers, including mm-hmm. four loss fumbles. Yep. To allow UCLA's quarterback to complete 25 passes for 507 yards, which, by the way, is over 13 yards of completion. Give up 150 on the ground, over four yards of carry. Combine that with the special teams snafus. Um, I think you're selling them a little bit short as far as comparing these to some of Mike Leach's bad losses, because I think this is, this is historic in, in the way it happened, because you could argue that for almost three quarters, the game went exactly as expected. Right. Um, and I, I would say that as also as a Washington state grad that, um, and I said this to you on Sunday that I, you know, teams that don't have stuff, you know, that are, that are disciplined, you know, teams are going to play bad games, no matter the type of yeah. kids you have. But, yeah. but I think there's bigger warts there that are being uncovered. I, and I mentioned what Max Borgie, the running back mentioned in post game about the players lack of, uh, lack of interest in the ball security drills they do at the end of every practice that clearly that, that came home to roost. Um, speaking of the rooster and um, you know, that's all aside from the fact that the quarterback, Anthony Gordon, threw for nine touchdown mm-hmm. passes. Yep. 41 to 61, 570, nine scores. Yeah. And Max Borgie goes for 123 yards rushing on 15 carries um, and also had two receptions for 80 yards. Had over 200 yards, 200 all-purpose yards in the game. Um, so, I, you know – I, I would I would actually say this loss is worse than the losses to the FCS teams they lost to, worse than the Mexico Bowl collapse, worse than any loss they've had to the Huskies, worse than the defeat down in Cal because of the scenario and the situation and who yeah. you're playing against. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think some of it is just like at this point, I'm exhausted thinking about it and talking about it, right? I, it just – I mean, it is an absolute, absolute – awful loss and it is and especially at this point of the program you know if this would have happened they had bad losses three or four years ago but the thing is is that the roster wasn't nearly as good as what it is now so to to be that far up uh and to have that much talent and to just continually to uh implode like that is is just mind-blowing um, and and it's like and what you just said and what I had said previously, I think it's just a lack of leadership on, on that team and um, and it's going to be fascinating to watch as a as a fan and alumni to see how they uh, uh, how my uh, uh, how how they respond in the next couple of weeks because they have got you know, after they were able to – that Houston game to me was a – which they played last week on Friday, that Houston game was kind of that game like, all right, that could go either way uh, because it's a it's the first road game, it's a uh, short week, all that kind of stuff, that that could be a tough one for them. They got through that, and they needed to get that UCLA win because now they, they're going to have to go to Utah. 
and then they host Colorado, or they they go to Utah, then a bye, then they host Colorado, and then oh, let's see here, and then oh, there's a ASU somewhere in there as well at ASU, host Colorado, and then at Oregon. I mean, those are there is a very definite chance that they could go one and three during that stretch. Easily, you can say they're going to lose at Utah, at ASU, at Oregon, and and maybe they win uh, Colorado. So uh, it really shifts the way you see the Pac-12 North as far as uh, now you really downgrade WSU just because of that one loss. You downgrade them to, all right, where are they going to play spoiler for, you know, can they can they trip up Oregon uh, or something like that as far as playing spoiler for other teams trying to win the division? Well, you're a man of absolutes. So what I'd like from you right now on September 23rd here at 2, 2.01 Mountain Time, I'd like to know where you think Washington State finishes in the Pac-12 North, what their record is when this thing all shakes out. Shit, at this point, uh, I, I think they will um, – God, I mean, at this point, you would be hard-pressed to – you would be hard-pressed to pick them over Oregon. You'd be hard-pressed to pick them over UW. And right now, uh, Cal has shown you nothing that would say that Cal is going to – Cal is going to slip up but they're not going to slip up like WSU did against UCLA. Um, so right now I would say WSU is better than Stanford and better than Oregon state in the North. So you have them in fourth. Yep. So does that get them to six and six, seven and five? What's your, I'm guessing seven and five. I, I, I think, I, I think that they could go eight and four, but that's probably, that's probably the ceiling as far as through just the normal, year not including bowl games yeah that's and that's assuming there's not another bad loss which is which there will be i mean like but but it's like we were saying when we were talking about this yesterday there's one thing that you can guarantee with mike leach teams is that they're going to have in most years they're going to have a really bad loss and then they're going to have a win that you can't explain but they pulled off the win so that's why i said that's why when you and i were talking about this yesterday I would not be surprised if they win in Salt Lake or, or, or Eugene. They won't win both, but they, I would not be shocked at all if they win one of those games. And then I would not be surprised if they completely stumble all over themselves in another game that they should have won completely. Yeah, I, I, just, I think the schedule doesn't, doesn't help that case either because um, you're, you're asking to probably win a couple of games on the right. road. That, Right. right now look like very tall tasks, yep. you know, and they're not going to win in Berkeley. I mean, even last year, I mean, Cal gave us fits um, at home with an offense that barely could, could, could reach first downs and obviously be us the year before. I mean, Wilcox being the former Washington guy, he's got Leach's offense figured out um, and they'll make life miserable for those guys in Berkeley. Um, yep. But you know what? The one thing we don't factor in all this, right, is it's still early in the season Injuries can happen. Things yeah. change. Um, you know, who knows? But, man, the game this weekend, uh, and you actually were pretty damn close when I asked you yesterday what you thought the spread was going to be, um, opened at Utah minus six. 
and quickly has jumped to Utah minus seven. Um, is a consensus line. Clearly, shop your uh, shop your locals to find your best possible line. But right now, Utah's opening as a touchdown favorite in Salt Lake City on Saturday night. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, so now again, you go back, and and it's going to be. This is where it's an intriguing matchup as a better. Like, where do you? What's what's the angle? How do you think this is going to play out? Because one, you have a USD team, you have a Utah team that went down to the Coliseum, lost. Uh, they very much had opportunities to win that game, lost and coming back. So they should be hungry and and you would think very focused to win. Uh, and then you have a WSU team that clearly just was embarrassed, and you would like to think that this will focus them uh, and bring their best effort on the road um and just the uh the small part of as much as you think utah is going to roll all over them a team that just lost to ucla like they did don't forget that um utah utah struggles mightily against the air raid and um and i i truly feel this will be a my my gut says i'm not sure if wc is going to win it but it'll be a one possession game that's pretty much what the line speaks. Sit, I mean, right. That's what they're uh, what they're playing as well. Yeah, will be a will be an interesting Saturday night right. in uh, Salt Lake City for sure. So, I think from a betting perspective, when you're looking, you know, I think I told you this yesterday, and we'll we'll end the podcast on this. I and you know, hundred percent, I told you, and anyone that knows me that knows or follows the plays I do. I am literally a 95 to 99% underdog player. So I'm always looking for the points. I rarely will, will lay with a favorite. And I always look at, you know, in college more than anything else, you look at situations and, you know, what's, what's, what's hard to cap about that, this game, it's both teams are coming off defeats. Um, one was probably far more catastrophic than the other one. Um, but there's no angle that you can just definitively say, yep, you know, this team got beat. They've got a, you know, a little extra motivation right, right, in a right. good spot. There's no, you know, potential look ahead, um, that sort of thing. So both teams, that's what makes it a really tough cap. I don't know if I'll have anything on the game um, pre-kick, but yeah, but that's, um, that's a little bit of insight of how I'm looking around because as we know, it's, it's Monday afternoon. So, I don't know if you've done it, but I've obviously perused yeah. most of the opening, opening lines that have come out and, and have looked for stuff that, is, that just sticks out. Um, and um, in the Pac-12, I don't know that there's anything right now that sticks out. Because um, in the same token, you mentioned USC-Washington. Well, again, there's no real angle for either side. Right. Both teams are coming off good wins. I mean, a lot of people picked Washington to – they would stumble in uh, Provo and obviously USC, you know, their current situation beating a top 10 ranked team at the time, you know, that's, that's again, it's tough, it's a tough cap. Cause I don't know who's got an advantage there. Um, when you really, you know, get down to the nitty gritty. So um, it'll be, uh, be interesting to watch a lot of these lines and how they are bet and moved yep, throughout the course of the week, you know? So, but we'll get more into that on Thursday when we have our preview show. Yes. 
So any other, uh, any other final thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean, can you believe that the damn season's almost a third of the way over? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, week five marks the one-third mark. <laughs> and we have 15 depressing. weeks of college football. I know, I know. You, you, you wait all year, and it goes by so darn quickly. Uh, so enjoy it, folks, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Stay horny. See ya. Thank you for listening to the HFV Podcast, your source for West Coast athletics. Follow us on Twitter at HFV Sports and look for podcasts each week on Monday and Thursday.